welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. I read a story not too long ago. I don't know who wrote the story, so I'm just going to call him Bob. It's because whenever I'm typing a sermon, Bob is easy to type. Bob was taking a long flight on a plane. He had put his luggage in the overhead compartment. He settled down in his seat, glad that he had a book to read and even thought he might take a nap during the flight. Now, it wasn't too long after the, uh, he had sat down that he saw a group of soldiers coming in. They sat all around him, and he decided to strike up a conversation with the one seated closest to him. He just asked him, he said, so where are you guys headed? He said, well, we're going to Petawawa, and we'll be there for two weeks for training, and then we'll be deployed to Afghanistan. About an hour into the flight, there was an announcement over the intercom that if you wanted to buy a sack lunch, that sack lunches were available for $5. Bob heard the soldier he'd been talking to ask his buddy, so are you going to get a sack lunch? And the guy goes, I don't know. $5 seems like a lot of money for a sack lunch, and it probably won't even be that good. I'll just wait till we get to base, and then I'll eat. His buddy agreed. That's when Bob started looking around, and he noticed that none of the soldiers were eating. So he got up, and he walked to the back of the plane to the flight attendant and said, here's $50. I want you to give a sack lunch to each one of the soldiers. She grabbed his arm and squeezed it, and tears filled her eyes. She said, my son was deployed to Iraq, and it's almost like you are doing this for him. She came, and she gave all the soldiers a sack lunch, and then she looked at the man, and she said, do you like chicken or beef? And he said, well, I like chicken. He didn't know why she asked that question, but soon she returned with a tray of food from first class and said, I want to say thank you to you. After a while, Bob needed to stretch his legs. He decided to go to the bathroom, and when he got up to go to the bathroom, another man stopped him and said, hey, I saw what you did. I want in on the action, and he handed Bob $25. Bob went back to his seat, and pretty soon he saw the captain walking up the aisle of the plane and he was looking at the seats and the numbers and he noticed the only ones he was looking at were on Bob's side of the plane. When he got to Bob's seat, he stopped and he said, I just want to shake your hand. So it was that Bob took off his seatbelt and stood up and he was shaking the captain's hand and the captain said, you know, I was a soldier once before I became a military pilot and I remember when somebody bought me a sandwich and it was the nicest act of kindness they could ever shown me. I just wanted to shake hands with the man that did that for these soldiers. Bob said he was embarrassed when everybody on the plane began to applaud. A little bit later, shortly before they were going to let down, he wanted to stretch his legs again. This time he walked the other direction in the plane. A man sitting about six rows in front of him just stopped and said, I want to shake your hand. It was a $25 handshake. Another given to help Bob do what he did. The plane landed without incident, and as they were getting their luggage to leave, Bob grabbed his carry-on luggage, and before he could get off the plane, a man just stood in front of him and blocked his way and put something in his pocket, didn't say a word, 
just turned around and walked off. Another $25. Bob now had $75. He got off the plane, and he saw where all the soldiers were congregating. So he walked up to him and he said, you know, it's probably going to take you a while to get to base, and you're going to get hungry again. Here's some more money. And he gave him the $75 that people had given to him. He said, I didn't think I had done very much, but at least those soldiers knew that they were loved and appreciated for what they do. We may hear other stories like that. We may read other stories like that this weekend because as we celebrate our nation's independence, we are aware that there are some who are willing to put their lives at risk for the sake of helping nations to be free. And we're grateful for the men and women that do that. And yet, that's really not what attracted me to this story. What attracted me to the story was it was about a characteristic that helps to define the church. We've been doing this series, Creating the Church, and we understand that God is the one who creates a church, and God creates a church out of people like us. In fact, anyone and everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord, who would turn from their sin and turn to God, who would be baptized, are going to receive that same manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now that we have new life in Christ, the Spirit will give us the power and the strength to live that life. And in the early church, whenever they gathered together. There were four things that were characteristic of their time together. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the verse that's been our guide the last few weeks. Let's put that on the screen, and I invite you to read this aloud with me. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, we looked two weeks ago at apostles' teaching. The apostles were those who had been with Jesus. They saw what Jesus did. They witnessed his miracles. They heard his teaching. They saw him crucified, and they saw him resurrected. And what they would teach people was about who Jesus was, how it was that Jesus is the one the prophets had been telling about for so many years and how all of God's salvific plan was brought forth in Jesus. Then last week we talked about fellowship, or some translations call it community. It's the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia had two parts that we looked at. Number one is as the early church, those earliest believers experienced fellowship, they were concerned for and dedicated to each other's highest good. And in the same way that our bodies Look to any injured part of our body in the body of Christ. There is healing for those who hurt. And now we come to that third characteristic that was illustrated in that story, the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. Now, I suspect if I were to ask you to raise your hand so I could take a poll, that every hand in here would go up if I said, who among us? likes to eat. We all 
like to eat. We all enjoy a good meal. We love being able to get together with friends. If we have cooked a good meal, we love being able to share it with other people. Or if our friends have prepared a meal, we love sitting down and sharing with that. Or sometimes, maybe far too often, we don't feel like cooking. We just want to be with our friends. And we don't want to have to cook. And we don't want to have to clean. And so what we do is we go out to a restaurant. And we're glad to have other people wait on us and serve us. And we express our generosity through the tip that we leave so that we can have that kind of fellowship with other people. In fact, I think this is what happened in the early church. I think when they went to the temple to worship, which it says that they did, that after they went to the temple, then they went to the homes and they shared together in meals and listened to the apostles teach and then celebrated the Lord's Supper. And the reason I think that this is how it happened is, to, remember, all these converts are Jewish converts. And the Jews had a cultural characteristic that they would go worship in the temple and then they would go and share meals together. So when we read this part about how it was that they were sharing meals together, that is the cultural context. You see, sharing meals becomes central to the fellowship of the early church. It is a symbol of their social and their spiritual solidarity. But they took the old part of their faith and now they bring forth the new part of their faith, the sharing together in the Lord's Supper. That which Jesus said, as often as you may, eat this bread, drink this wine to remember me. So you've got the old and the new merged together to help create a practice of the church. Now, as you might guess, as Christianity begins to spread through Asia and through Europe, some of the Jewishness, some of the cultural part of this begins to fade because it's not necessarily a part of other cultures. Primarily, we have evidence of this in one place in Europe, in Greece, in the church at Corinth. They got really sloppy about how they shared life together and shared meals and shared the Lord's Supper. I want to read this part of the scripture as it comes to us from Corinthians. I've got to get to the right place. I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 20. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others, and as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly cannot praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, 
This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. When I was 11 years old, I played for what would have been my first travel baseball team. Frederick had a municipal league that all of us played against and with our friends. And when I was turning 11, my very first coach was starting a team, an all-star team of, of sorts, that would travel around and play the teams from the other towns and surrounding counties. All my friends were getting asked to play for the team, and I really wanted to play for it. And so one day when I saw him, I said, Carol, can I play for your baseball team? And I remember him looking at me saying, Will your mother let you? I said, I don't know, I'll ask. And so I asked my mom and she agreed to let me play for the Frederick A's. And the first year uh, that I played for them, our record was 33 and two. Unfortunately, the second game we lost was the state championship game. And so it was that we were good. And our best player was a kid by the name of John Key. Now, if you've gone to Methodism 101, you may remember this story. But John was that kid that grew bigger, and he was faster, and he was stronger than everybody else. He was our best pitcher. He was our best hitter. John was just an incredible player. And John had a mean streak. John was a bully. I had a cousin who's about a month younger than I am, Dennis Ray, and he lived in Altus, and in Altus, uh, he went to the boys' club, and the boys' club had a boxing team that would go around, and he would box in tournaments, and he was in Frederick, and he came to my game, and John Key found out that my cousin was a boxer, and so he kept saying that he wanted to box my cousin, which was, if we box, I don't get in trouble for beating him up. And I kept telling John that that was not going to happen. My cousin was not going to box him. And I must have said it one too many times because that's when John said, well, if I can't box him, I'll fight you. I was terrified. I had seen John beat people up before, and I wanted absolutely no part of that. Somehow or another, I made it home unscathed that night. And I remember telling my mom what had happened. The next morning, we got up and went to church. I was an acolyte, and so I had to sit up at the front of the church and assist the pastor in what he was doing. And it just happened, it was communion Sunday. And so as I stood up there helping and watching people come to take communion, it was really noticeable to me that my mother did not come take communion that day and I thought that was really strange and so after church I said how come you didn't take communion today and she said well there's a scripture in the Bible that says if 
somebody has something against you, you need to leave your gift at the altar and you need to go and be reconciled to that person. I said, what does that mean? She said, that means we're going to John Key's house. This was not on my list of after church activities for the day. John only lived about a block away from us and we went to his house and my mom knocked on the screen door. I was hiding as best I could behind my mother and John's mom came and opened the door and she looked at us through the screen and she took a big drag on her cigarette and she blew out smoke and growled, what do you want? Now friends, if there is anybody in Frederick scarier than John Key, it was John Key's mama. And my mom said, Mrs. Key, last night at the baseball game, your son wanted to beat up my nephew, and my son said, you're not going to do that. Now your son wants to, to beat up my son, and we're here to see if we can keep that from happening. As badly as I did not want to be there, I was really clear and agreed with the purpose of what we were about to experience, if it worked. <laughs> and so they invited us in, and, and what I remember was it was dark inside their house, and they made John come out and sit in the living room with us. And I think there was some kind of conversation that had a very happy ending because the agreement was John would not beat me up. And that's all I really cared about at that point. We went to state that year. It just so happened my sister had to stay in the room with John's mother. And after state, John's mother looked at John and said, if you ever lay a hand on one of those Bennett kids, whew, that was good news. <laughs> And I remember last time I saw John was when we were in high school. I had, had moved away from Frederick by then, but I went back, and all of us were bigger than John. But you know what I really remember about that story and why I share it with you today? It's because of what my mom did. Not that she tried to protect me. That my mom thought she could not take communion in an unworthy manner. That's what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians. This is the word of God that we need to hear. We do not come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. We come treating this and understanding that this is a sacred, holy meal, that Christ himself is the host, and he invites us to come. And we don't come to say, oh, yeah, you know, this is all about me. No, 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 no. We come with humility and gratitude and joy for what Christ has done. This is why whenever we give the instructions, I'll always say, when you come forward, cup your hands, and someone will place bread into it. Because we always say we're taking communion, but the reality is we are receiving communion. The, the grace of God is not something we just snatch for ourselves it is a gift of God that we receive. And we ask you to come and cup your hands and someone's gonna give you that so you can receive that bread and then dip the tip in the cup to receive the sacrament. But still, we don't come in an unworthy manner. We examine ourselves before we come. That's why whenever we do this, we have a prayer of confession where we can confess our sin as a koinonia, as a community of faith. But knowing that sometimes there's more specific sin that we need to confess, we have that moment of silent confession. And anytime we confess our sin, it is so important that we are assured that we are forgiven, that there is assurance of our pardon, that 
whenever we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive all our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that's why we come with humility and yet we leave with joy because we don't just remember what Christ did. Our hope is that we experience what Christ is doing in our lives. And we also understand there's a promise to be fulfilled. You see, the Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus will return and we will feast at his heavenly banquet table with the believers from all times and all places. You know, the, on this weekend, I suspect that some people in here have plans to eat some really good food. Do I have a witness in the congregation this morning? When, when, <laughs> I, I love Jude back there really giving it up. He's not going to cook or clean. He's just going to enjoy the food. Am I right? <laughs> So whenever we have a holiday, we celebrate with food. Whenever it's Thanksgiving, I'm sure your family has a traditional meal. I'm not saying traditional as in it's always turkey dressing and pumpkin pie, but your family has a tradition of what you eat at Thanksgiving. We broke tradition at our house last year because nobody wanted to cook, so we catered. We may have a new tradition at our house. Christmas, what do you eat for Christmas? What is it you have to have if it's going to be Christmas dinner? Or how about your birthday? Is there a special dessert? Is there a special treat that you want to have when it's your birthday and you get to choose? I mean, I'm guessing those of you that said, yeah, we're looking forward to eating this week, I'm, I'm betting a bunch of y'all are going to grill. Do I have a witness for grilling this morning? Men, come on, men. That's if you're not grilling this weekend, that's a man card violation. Maybe some of you are going to churn out some homemade ice cream. It's, it's a big, special day we intend to eat. Can you imagine how great that banquet table is going to be when Jesus comes back? I don't know what he's going to serve, but I'm sure it's out of this world. Yeah, that was a joke. Y'all were supposed to, to laugh. You know, heavenly banquet to, out of this world. Y'all, it loses its touch when I have to explain it. I don't know what he's going to serve, but I bet it's going to be out of this world. I, I think it's going to be better than anything you could cook on the grill. I think it's going to be better than anything you eat at Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving or any other time of the year because Christ is the host and he would only give us the best. We look forward to that. Whenever we eat this bread and share this cup, we declare to the world that he is coming back again. We come to the Lord's table. It's not just what he's done. We experience the presence of the risen Christ and we look ahead to what he's gonna do in the future. And that is good news. I love how it says is in our document of understanding of uh, Holy Communion, a document called This Holy Mystery. And this is what it says. In the midst of personal and systemic brokenness in which we live, we yearn for everlasting fellowship with Christ and the ultimate fulfillment of the divine plan. That's what we experience when Jesus comes back. There was a group of soldiers on a plane that felt loved and appreciated and respected because somebody bought them a sack lunch and they took an offering so they could have another meal on the way home. Christ our Lord invites us to his table.
to let us know that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are free. And so, as we prepare to come to this table today, hear the invitation of Christ our Lord, that if you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and you intend to lead a new life following all the commandments of God, draw near by faith and receive this sacrament to yourselves. So we don't come in an unworthy manner. I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us take a moment for silent confession. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven.